All right, and we are live. Welcome, everyone, to this important stream. Welcome to my guests, Eric and Jonathan, uh, of the channel Two Messianic Jews. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. well. Thanks for having doing us. Well, awesome. Thank you. Thank, thanks for coming, both of you. I do appreciate. I think this is an important stream that needs done. Uh, I think there's a lot of kind of terrifying things happening in media right now in the news. We've got the whole conflict happening in Israel, which is leading to a lot of anti-Semitism. And it's kind of interesting because you and I talked about doing the stream like back in August, yeah. uh, like you know, as, as a response to some of the nonsense we see coming out of Fuentes and Christian nationalists. And so, yeah, this is a perfect time to do this because we are seeing a rise of anti-Semitism just being blown way out of proportion, um, you know, just from this whole conflict itself. So is that what you guys are both Messianic Jews, so you believe in Christ, but you're Jewish. Have you guys been seeing a rise in anti-Semitism in your view? Oh, oh, oh yeah. yeah, I mean, it yeah, all over social media uh, over the last few weeks, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you guys could turn your mics up a little bit, so the audience are saying your mics are a little low, so try to turn that up just a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, I'm here about joined by Eric Jonathan. Um, well, why don't you guys tell us quickly a little bit about yourself and your background, what you guys are studying or focusing on? Yeah. Well, first, thank you so much for the invitation, Michael. It's a it's a real honor. And we've loved your channel for years. And it's really a big reason why we decided to produce our own content and then the way we do it. And yeah, so we're we're two Messianic Jews. And for those who don't know what a, a Messianic Jew is, a Messianic Jew is basically a Jewish person who follows Jesus through modes of Jewish worship and ways of life as a matter of covenant calling or national duty before God. So we affirm that Yeshua is the Messiah. He's the divine Messiah. He died for our sins, rose again. We accept the New Testament as scripture, the Tanakh as scripture. Um, so we, we share a lot in common. Uh, we we believe that it's our, our obligation to uh, follow uh, Yeshua, Jesus, um, as and living out that calling as a Jew. Um, so yeah, and we're a Messianic Jewish YouTube channel and podcast that discusses Messianic Jewish history, theology, and apologetics. We respond to counter missionaries, Hebrew roots groups, and replacement theology. And our main goal is to strengthen the faith and identity of Messianic of the Messianic Jewish community. Awesome. Yeah, so we've we've both been involved in the Messianic Jewish community our entire lives and uh, have been studying uh, topics related to it ever since we were in undergrad. And so uh, we really appreciate you having us on during this, unfortunately, very timely uh, moment. Um, mm -hmm. But we'll talk about so some yeah, important here, stuff. Here's their channel. Uh, they got a lot of great stuff on countering like um, Hebrew root stuff. I've seen a lot of your stuff on that, countering the idea that Gentile Christians have to keep Torah, like uh, uh, Messianic Jews would have to. So a lot of, and a lot of other really good stuff on the channel. So I do appreciate it. I think everyone should go subscribe. The channel again is linked below in the video description. But today what we're going to be focusing on uh, is the New Testament anti-Semitic. Uh, and this is important because we have seen lately some Christian nationalists like under Nick Fuentes, for example, and other related groups basically become very anti-Semitic. Uh, and we're seeing a rise in anti-Semitism, unfortunately, like this article here, New York Times rehires Hitler praising Suleiman, I probably butcher that, to cover Israel-Hamas war. So they, New York Times is hiring someone who literally praised Hitler uh, to work for them. It's just beyond belief that we are seeing anyone in today's age praising Hitler. And I posted our hangout 
today on Twitter. And already you're seeing anti-Semitic comments come in, uh, talk about synagogue of Satan being detected in the New Testament should be anti-Semitic. It's ridiculous. This is something that needs to be addressed because it's rising. Uh, what are your guys take on this? Do you got like, is the New Testament anti-Semitic in your view? Does it lead to anti-Semitism? And you guys can also talk about this stuff here about the rise of anti-Semitism. Yeah, so no, emphatically no, the New Testament is not anti-Semitic, uh, nor should it lead to uh, anti-Semitism. And that's something that uh, is very timely right now. And um, I think what's important to note first, like before we jump into all this, I think what's very helpful is to like we're going to take everybody through like the very basics of the New Testament again, that just really tips the scale away from even considering whether it's anti-Semitic or not. Uh, like really the true like ABCs and one, two, threes of the New Testament are going to go over like the absolute basics that really just get in the way of any anti-Semitic understanding uh, that one may want to hold to. Um, so this is what we want to talk about today. Um, Jonathan, if you wanted to yeah. go for it. Yeah, so um, this is going to be our, our thesis statement as we approach the question, is the New Testament anti-Semitic, which of course we say absolutely not, but this is the thesis. The New Testament does not promote Jew hatred because the New Testament affirms that God loves Jewish people. Its central message is a Jewish message to follow Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, that is carried out by Jewish apostles to Jewish people and teaches Jews to remain Jewish. And it never teaches to hate, harm, or kill Jewish people. And so to, to make this argument, we're going to have six, six arguments. And together they make up this thesis to say that, no, the New Testament is not anti-Semitic. It, it does not promote Jew hatred. So I'll start with the, uh, with the, the first uh, argument here. Yeah. And before you yeah. get there, just real yeah, sure. quick, everybody, like this idea that the, the New Testament is anti-Semitic never made sense to me as a Christian because I, I read Romans 11, like, and, and in large part, the whole New Testament. Like, I don't understand how you could come away from the New Testament worshiping Jesus, who is Jewish, and right. think it's, it, it, it's it just a, it comes from a place of pure stupidity. That anti-Semitism comes from a place of pure stupidity. It's even more stupid to say that the New Testament is anti-Semitic. But this is what we're dealing with, ladies and gentlemen. We got to debunk this crap yeah. because there are people online promoting this nonsense. And I guarantee most of them haven't even read the Bible. I mean, quite yeah. honestly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It really requires a pre-existing anti-Semitism that is then read into and overlaid on top of the Bible rather than letting the New Testament speak for itself and letting their own views be conformed to what the New Testament teaches. So exactly. it really is irrational and it, yeah. requires that level of uh, irrationality to to get there yeah. oh exactly and it, i'm letting you guys go through this but if you got for anyone in the audience if you guys have questions put it in a super chat i will save them we'll get them all to the end but they're going to go through and just explain just the obvious it's not anti-semitic and then we're going to deal with passages like you know like in matthew when um they're, they want to put jesus to death and uh the crowd says his blood shall be upon us like these are passages people often bring up. I've seen scholars bring up these passages to argue that, no, 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 the Bible really is 
or the New Testament specifically is anti-Semitic. So we're going to get to those passages as well. We're going to address plat passages in John, Matthew, Philippians, you name it. We're going to go through those. So take it away, Eric and Jonathan. Let's 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 go into this. Yeah, sounds good. So yeah, as Michael, as you were saying, like Jesus is a Jew. The New Testament teaches us to follow Jesus. So the first the first argument that I want to present here is that is one. The first premise is one. If the New Testament promotes Jew hatred, it would not teach everyone to devote their lives to a Jew. Two, the New Testament highlights that Jesus is a Jew. Three, the New Testament teaches everyone to devote their lives to Jesus. Four, therefore, the New Testament teaches everyone to, to devote their lives to a Jew, which follows, therefore, the New Testament does not promote Jew hatred. So let me just cover a little bit of what I mean by the New Testament uh, highlights that Jesus is a Jew. It emphasizes his Jewishness. So if you look at the very beginning, the first verse in Matthew, Matthew chapter one, verse one, it says, Matthew begins his gospel by saying, an account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's beginning, Matthew begins his gospel by highlighting the fact that Jesus is descended from David. He is a Jew. If you read in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 2.21, uh, Jesus is circumcised on the eighth day, which is entrance into the covenant that was started with Abraham. If, if, if many people are familiar with when Jesus uh, holds on, uh, when, when there's the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years in, in Matthew chapter 9 and Luke 8, when she grabs on the hem of his garment, what she's grabbing there is Jesus' tzitzit, which served as a reminder to obey the commandments. It, it's what is described in Numbers 15 that Jewish men wore as a, as a reminder to keep all of God's commandments. Uh, you see that Jesus, he attends synagogue because it was his custom, as Luke says in Luke 4.16. He teaches in synagogues. When Jesus debates with Pharisees on whether it's permitted, whether he's, it's lawful for him to heal on Shabbat, to heal on the Sabbath, he actually uses methods of interpretation that Pharisees and later rabbis would find legitimate. I could go into that more if you'd like later. Um, he teaches that he came to confirm the Torah in Matthew 5, 17. He affirms Israel's dietary laws in Matthew 23, 24. Um, there's just this, this emphasis on the New Testament has on Jesus' Jewishness, especially as you see it in the Gospels and also Paul. Yeah, and just to continue, he affirms the Shema, which is the central prayer in Judaism. Uh, and says that the, that loving God and loving one's neighbor is the substance mm -hmm. of the Torah itself. He argues for the physical resurrection of the dead, which is a very Jewish thing. Uh, he celebrates Jewish feasts. He celebrates Passover, Sukkot, and even Hanukkah, which is not even like that's just Jewish tradition is Hanukkah. There's no nowhere in the uh, Old Testament or in the Torah that commands Jewish people to uh, celebrate Hanukkah. But he does it just because it's Jewish tradition. He's with his people uh, and he even instructs obedience to the purity laws. And whenever he does some healings, he even has a Jewish burial where they put a burial cloth on him and uh, honor his body. And so really through and through, Jesus is as Jewish as you can get as presented in the New Testament. Yeah. And uh, just to add to that, if you guys check out this recent book, it came out just this year, The Historical Jesus in the Temple by Michael Patrick Barber. I just finished reading it. Phenomenal book. It, it really goes through and just demonstrates over and over again that Jesus is focused was on uh, his Jewish heritage in the temple and fulfilling the law and the prophets. Uh, it, it just overwhelmingly just shows through and through that Jesus was a 
bona fide 100% Jew. Like, there's no way around it. The Messiah is a Jew. Like, that's just a fact. So, to be a Christian and be anti Semitic is an oxymoron and yeah. a moron. I mean, both. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd also recommend, um, I'll have to check that book out also. Um, the, the Misunderstood Jew, The Church and the Scandal of the Jewish Jesus by Amy Jill Levine, a Jewish New Testament scholar who also is, it's been out for a while, but she really emphasizes uh, how the Gospels highlight the Jewishness of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, please continue. So then the uh, the next one is uh, Jesus's apostles are Jews. So the New Testament promotes Jew hatred. It would not highlight that Jesus's apostles are Jews. The New Testament highlights that the apostles are Jews. Therefore, the New Testament does not promote Jew hatred. Well, so hold on, guys. Thing. Hold on. I think Jesus's disciples were people like Thomas and Philip. Those sound like Anglo-Saxon names to me. Are you sure? Well, that sounds like translations of <laughs> Hebrew and Greek names, which many Jewish people had Greek names during the first century. You'd, uh, you'd be surprised. I have seen people say, like, not, not anti-Semites, but like skeptics of the New Testament going, how did Jesus find people in the Middle East named Matthew and John? It's like, you mean Johanan? Like, like these yeah. are transliterated names, but you'd be surprised what I find online. People actually think are good arguments. Yeah. 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 Uh, people can check out uh, David Stern's complete Jewish Bible if they want to see uh, the likely Hebrew names of the disciples in, in a, in a translation. Uh, it can be enlightening to those who are uh, that confused. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, here's just a list of evidences of the apostles uh, being Jewish. So they celebrate Shavuot, uh, Christians know it as Pentecost uh, in Jerusalem. So it's actually a holiday that celebrates the giving of the Torah at Sinai. Uh, we have Jewish believers in, in Jesus doing so in Acts 2. Celebrate Passover, of course. They participate in Jewish life in the temple. Uh, they vote uh, in favor of a decree. That's in Acts 15. That assumes Jewish followers of Jesus remain Torah observant. Uh, Peter affirms the authority of the Torah and God's covenant with Israel in Acts 3. Uh, we find that Peter remained faithful to uh, Israel's dietary laws in Acts 10. And uh, Paul was circumcised on the eighth day and is from the tribe of Benjamin. And that's something that he was presently uh, proclaiming uh, there in, in Philippians 3. And, and just to continue, Paul, he attends synagogue on Shabbat because it was his custom. Luke is, is clear there to indicate that in Acts chapter 17. Uh, Paul actually arranges his travel to spread the gospel, to spread the good news of Yeshua, of Jesus, so that he could observe Jewish festivals, uh, such as uh, Yom Kippur and Passover and others. Uh, Paul abides by the customs of our fathers. He says this in Acts chapter 28, 17. Paul even has Timothy circumcised to highlight to that to allow him to do this this act that was really uh, entrance into the covenant because he knew that Timothy was Jewish. Uh, Paul takes a Nazarite vow with his fellow Jews in Acts chapter twenty one, and the reason he does this, the reason he takes the vow and has others with him take this vow, is because he's doing it to demonstrate that he teaches Jewish followers of Jesus should remain Torah observant. And Paul in Acts chapter twenty three identifies as a Pharisee, even after coming to faith in Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's little things like that, that do add up over time, showing that what we're dealing with is the founding of Christianity was a Jewish movement. 
uh, to bring in Gentiles, but its foundation is very, very Jewish. And yeah. we should not be divorced from that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So essentially the point here is that it is just like previously with Jesus, with the apostles, it is incoherent and incompatible to say that you're a follower of Jesus and the New Testament, which is written by uh, primarily written by the apostles uh, and say that you hate Jews because they were and are all Jews. Yeah, and even like Luke, for example, who is from, I believe, Macedonia or somewhere of the Greek city-states, uh, he's clearly getting his information from the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem, Jewish eyewitnesses, Jewish apostles. I mean, all of this. I mean, it's like, even when you can look at like a Gentile, for example, it's like clearly he is working with the Jewish authorities of the early church. It's yeah, You can't get around that. You can even, um, if, if you want, you could look up the dissertation by Dr. Isaac Oliver, who actually argues that Luke Acts is a Jewish text and Luke was Jewish himself. Uh, and he does this highlighting uh, how Luke emphasizes these, these Jewish things that uh, wouldn't necessarily make sense if he, uh, if he was just purely uh, a Greek Christian. Um, Hold just, up. I got a book. I got a book like that. Where yeah. did I put that thing? Yeah, there's another. I read someone else's. That might be the same dissertation. Yeah, it was from uh, University of Michigan. Continue with what you guys are doing. I'm going to try to find this book. Sure, sure. I, I think. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so the New Testament central message is Jewish. So this argument goes like this. If the New Testament promotes Jew hatred, then its central message would not be a Jewish message. The New Testament message, the New Testament central message is a Jewish message. Therefore, the New Testament does not promote Jew hatred. So if we're trying to look for a definition of the gospel or a short summary of the gospel in the New Testament, I think the best example is 2 Timothy 2.8, where Paul says, Remember, Jesus, Messiah, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. If you want it, the gospel just in a clear sentence right there, that's what Paul says. That is his gospel. Remember, Jesus, Messiah, raised from the dead, descended from David. And so highlighting or just showing how each of these things that Paul says, each of these items, each of these terms that Paul mentions in his gospel are actually very Jewish. Um, to, to talk about the first one, remember. In the Torah, God calls Israel to remember his redemption from Israel's redemption from Egypt, how he took them out of slavery. You see that in Exodus 13, Deuteronomy 5, 15, 16. It's throughout uh, the Torah where you see that Israel is called to remember. And when we, when we as Jewish people, when we observe uh, something like Passover or Hanukkah or a lot of these Jewish holidays, we're using... Uh, different, we're using our, our, our body, we're using, we're drinking wine, we're having bread, all these tactile things to help us remember what God did for us in uh, Egypt. And Yeshua calls us to remember uh, his redemption that he did by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Um, Jesus, right? Paul mentions Jesus. So this is a Jewish name. Uh, well, the Jewish name would be Yeshua, which is which is what the Hebrew name uh, is, and the sh which is the shortened form of Yehoshua, which means salvation. So salvation, which is really this um, Hebrew name, this Jewish name that speaks of uh, has prophetic significance of God saving Israel, as we read about in the Gospel of Matthew. Messiah. Okay, so Messiah. If you think about it, where does the word the Messiah occur in the Hebrew Bible? It's it's really hard to find the word Hamashiach, the Messiah. You see it in in Leviticus chapter four, uh, in Leviticus chapter four about the the anointed priest. But 
this concept, this messianic concept that, that the Messiah would come and redeem Israel and all these um, items that the Messiah would accomplish, that's a that's found in uh, extra biblical Jewish literature that's commenting on the, the Tanakh, on the Hebrew scriptures. This is Mashiach, Messiah, which means the anointed one, who will who is the one who will bring about all of Israel's eschatological hopes. And then raised from the dead. Uh, in Jewish tradition, God alone has the power to raise the dead and that he will raise the dead. So this is found for Samuel 2, 6, Deuteronomy 32, Ezekiel 37, and most in very significantly in the Amidah. So not only is this just found in Jewish tradition, but the idea that God alone has the power to raise the dead is actually preserved and emphasized in a Jewish prayer service during what is one of the most primary uh, Jewish prayers during the service, the Amidah. So not only is it just found in Jewish tradition, but it's it's highlighted and emphasized that God alone has the power to raise the dead. So it's a very Jewish uh, concept to be remembering. And then, of course, just as Jonathan talked about earlier, descended from David. So physical uh, line of David uh, being a Jew. And so the Messiah will reign on David's throne and will be king over all the earth as uh, the Tanakh and the New Testament repeats uh, over and over again. And then even the word gospel itself or the good news, it's already anticipated and mentioned in Isaiah 52, 7. Uh, it talks about how the God of Israel reigns and will return to Jerusalem. And in the New, in, in the New Testament, Yeshua is the coming king of Israel. And then when you think about uh, Christian tradition and how the acceptance of the gospel is, is commemorated and remembered, uh, one, it's it's baptism, and two, it's through communion. And what's really interesting about those is that communion, particularly uh, taking wine, you know, it's based off of a Passover, based off of Passover we see in the Gospels, um, but nowhere in the Torah is taking wine uh, prescribed. So in fact, the, the wine drinking uh, that Yeshua is doing during the Last Supper there, which is a Passover Seder, is actually a Pharisaic tradition. Um, and then same thing with a non-mikvah, so a non-ritually cleaned cleansing uh, water dunking, um, but being one for the forgiveness of sins, as we see John the Baptist doing, is another uh, expressly Jewish tradition um, that then Christians, as they come into the family um, of, of God, they're actually participating in Jewish traditions. Um, so again, it's, it's not very uh, compatible to be anti-Semitic and... Uh, participating in, in a tradition like that either. You know, related to this, what I find interesting is you'll see a lot of like hardcore skeptics try to like, oh no, the New Testament is like Greek mythology. It's taking all this stuff from like these Greek myths or these Egyptian myths. And it's like, like, it's like they're ignoring the elephant in the room always. Right. Like they have to find like these little tiny words and go, well, maybe this is like the same thing that happened to Romulus. It's like, dude, like the elephant in the room is that they, the writers over and over again are emphasizing the Jewish aspect of Jesus fulfilling the scriptures, the Jewish customs, the Jewish cultures. And you want to try to find these little bits and pieces to connect to Greek mythology. It's like, no, the, the, the emphasis is always going to be on the Jewish material, the, the Tanakh, the extra biblical material related to what Jews were preaching at the times. Uh, with regarding Luke Acts, what was the name of the book you guys mentioned? Uh, yeah, so it's Torah Praxis After 70 CE, reading Matthew and Luke Acts as Jewish texts. Okay, I got a different one. It's called Luke Acts in Jewish Historiography by Sansom 
Utanlet. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. But yeah, there's another book where he just argues in his dissertation that Luke Acts is very much a Jewish work and how it functions. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's great. Um, okay, so moving on to the next argument here is that the gospel saves Jewish people. So this this is an obvious point, but really needs to be uh, hashed out here because you know of this idea that the claim that the New Testament is somehow anti-Semitic. So here's the argument. If the New Testament promotes Jew hatred, it would not teach everyone to share the gospel of salvation with Jewish people. The New Testament instructs its readers to share the gospel with Jewish people. Therefore, the New Testament does not promote Jew hatred. Now that we can go through this very quickly, I mean, you just you start with Romans. In Paul's uh, letter to the Romans, he says the gospel should go to the Jew first. He, he begins his gospel in chapter one with that. Uh, God promised to bring Jesus to Israel in Acts chapter 13. Uh, Jesus will save his people. In, in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew highlights that uh, in Jesus' in name, one of the names given to Jesus is, is he's given that name because he's going to save his people from their sins. God redeems Israel through Jesus. And Paul in Romans 11 talks about the Jewish people, Israel, and he says that all Israel will be saved. This, there's this emphasis the New Testament has on that God will save Jewish people and that we should share the gospel with Jewish people, even to the Jew first. And then God appoints Jesus to forgive Israel of their sins. Uh, Peter and Paul are sent to share the gospel with Jewish people. And I think very profoundly, Paul, a Jewish man himself, is saved. He does believe in Jesus and he's willing to forfeit his own salvation for his fellow countrymen, for other Jewish people. Uh, and so if you're a Christian and you think Paul represents a good example of what a Christian should be, you should love the Jewish people so much that you're willing to give up your own salvation for their sake. Um, and so like Mike was talking about, uh, like we're just trying to zoom out here just to show like, like let's, let's not miss the forest for the trees here. Let's just zoom out and just see the very basics of what the New Testament is about. And if the New Testament is teaching that the gospel saves Jewish people, which is the most amazing gift that anybody could ever receive, well, then it's not anti-Semitic. Right. No, absolutely. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. Continue on. Yep. And then I think very, very significantly to go on with that, because some people will say like, oh, well, uh, once you do believe in Jesus, like, you know, you're not Jewish anymore. Now you've become a Christian. Um, and so, I mean, that's what Mind of Jonathan's channel is all about to show that, no, that's not the case. Uh, if you're Jewish and you come to believe uh, Jesus, Yeshua is the Messiah, you remain Jewish and it actually is, uh, in adhering to what the New Testament teaches about that question. Uh, so if the New Testament promotes Jew, Jew hatred, it would not teach Jews who accept the gospel to remain Jewish. The New Testament teaches Jews who accept the gospel to remain Jewish. Therefore, the New Testament does not promote Jew hatred. And so here we just have Paul just over and over again saying that he's a Jew and even saying that he's a Pharisee, which Christians don't tend to uh, talk about that too much. And here it says that he, Paul says that he did nothing against even the customs. So even against Jewish tradition, not just what is commanded in scripture for Jewish people. Uh, and then Paul taught that being Jewish has value in Romans 3. Uh, Paul solidified Timothy's Jewish identity by circumcising him, as, as Jonathan talked about. And uh, very significantly, Paul taught other Jewish fo Jesus followers to remain Jewish in 1 Corinthians 
seven, uh, 17 through 20, uh, which is actually worth reading here. Uh, Paul says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the congregation. So across the board, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Was he already Jewish? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek, circum uh, let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And so this isn't just a reference to uh, the, the state of, a, of your genital, genitals. Uh, it was a metonymy, so a literary device, uh, circumcised in reference to just being Jewish. So it's like uh, how we talk about uh, the crown in reference to uh, the British monarchy. Uh, circumcised just in this, in this context means just being Jewish. So Paul is actually saying that God has assigned Jews to remain Jews uh, as followers of, of Jesus. And so if the New Testament was anti-Semitic, that would not be the teaching. Um, and then this is, uh, Paul makes this his example in Acts 21, when he actually endorses Nazarite vows to clarify to thousands of Jews who believe, and they themselves are also zealous to the law, that he taught Jewish parents to circumcise Jewish sons and to obey Moses. Um, so again, if the New Testament was anti-Semitic, it would not emphasize the uh, maintenance of Jewish identity of those who follow the Jewish Messiah as new testament instructs right yeah if we're supposed yeah. to hate or kill jewish people if that's what the new testament is saying it misses the message if it's saying jewish people who come to faith in jesus remain jewish and you should stay that way uh no anti-semitism oh, there absolutely yeah and i think first corinthians 7 is very important for showing that yet yeah, gentiles can remain gentiles yeah. follow christ and jews remain jews follow christ it's this is not about uh forcing a certain culture onto someone, a certain way of life uh, with these extremes that a lot of people have in mind, uh, sometimes in the Christian community. Uh, and so I think 1 Corinthians 7 is very good in co combination with Romans 14, for example, that, hey, you know, you don't need to make these drastic changes. If you're of the circumcised, just stay there. If you're of the uncircumcised, just stay there. It's okay. This, this is not a big issue, but it definitely, as you're pointing out, yeah, we there are plenty of Jewish Christians to become a Christian does not mean to get rid of your Jewish past. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Or future. Uh, so this is the, the last point we'll, we'll go over before the last argument before getting to the anti the supposedly anti-Semitic passages, Oh yeah. but it's uh, that God loves Jewish people, right? If the new Testament promotes Jew hatred, it would not teach that God loves Jewish people. The new Testament teaches that God loves Jewish people. Therefore the new Testament does not promote Jew hatred. And I'll just run through this list real quick. Paul teaches that God has not rejected his people, Israel, in, in Romans mm -hmm. chapter 11. He, he says it clearly. I'm not He's not rejected his people, Israel. Paul teaches that Israel's gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Paul teaches that Jewish people currently, present tense, they have the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the Torah, the worship, and the promises, the patriarchs, the Messiah, and that God is over all. These are This is expression of love, that God, God gave the Torah to his people Israel out of love, and they retain the Torah. Uh, God promises to be merciful to Israel forever in Luke. Jesus is a servant to the circumcised, to the Jewish people. He's come to serve them. 
God wants all people to be saved, including, including Jewish people, right? God unconditionally promises blessings of land and, and preservation. God unconditionally promises blessing of land and preservation of Israel. And the reason I bring this up from Genesis is, and other passages that come from the Torah is because in Matthew 5, 17, Yeshua says that he came to fulfill the Torah. It means he came to confirm the Torah, right? And he sees the Torah and teaches the Torah as having authority. And what right here we learn from Genesis is that there's these unconditional promises. Uh, in in 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles, God is Israel's God forever. And God freely chose Israel for himself, not because Israel earned it, but because it was a gift that he gave to the Jewish people. And Shabbat is a covenant sign between Israel and God forever, as we read about in Exodus 31. And when you read the New Testament, Shabbat, the sign of God's covenant between Israel and him, uh, that is upheld by, by Jesus, Yeshua, and his apostles. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Paul says that he went to the synagogue on Shabbat because it was his custom. So with all of this said, we have six arguments to say that the New Testament does not promote true hatred. It is not anti-Semitic. So to repeat the thesis, as we've just shown here and gone through, the New Testament does not promote Jew hatred because the New Testament affirms that God loves Jewish people. Its central message is a Jewish message to follow Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, that is carried out by Jewish apostles to Jewish people and teaches Jews to remain Jewish, and it never teaches to hate harm, or kill Jewish people. But I have a counter-argument from a comment here. Go for it. How do you handle that? After everything <laughs> you've said, you've been debunked. You've been destroyed. He was not oh, a man. Jew. End of argument. There it is. This is this is what we're dealing with, ladies and gentlemen. This is the level of do. reasoning we get from the anti-Semites. So. I'll, just, I'll just point them back to this right here. About <laughs> yeah exactly so all right so with that in mind typically what we get though from a lot of skeptics um that, act, that like sometimes i'll hear this from atheists that they're they're not anti-semitic for they're anti-semitic at all but they think that maybe after jesus like jesus was a jew but maybe after when the gospels were being written they're being written by these later people that were mad at the jewish people and so they wrote anti-semitic verses into the New Testament, into the mouths of Jesus, and they'll bring certain passages up. Uh, so, any other thing points you want to make before we start getting to some of those passages, guys? Uh, actually, yeah, just as a general thing to keep in mind as we do go over those passages, um, is that if we limit ourselves to what the New Testament actually says, like we really try our best to remain faithful to what the text is saying, uh, we notice that at worst. The New Testament is recording that some Jewish people at a certain point in history did some really bad things. And none of these descriptions are followed by marching orders to hate, harm, or murder them. Uh, in fact, the marching orders of the New Testament are to love God, follow Jesus, and love others, which includes Jews. And uh, really, this is just like the Torah itself, which records some Jewish people at certain points in history doing really bad things like Israel worshiping a golden calf right after God saves them from Egypt, Israelite kings committing idolatry and adultery, killing their own prophets and priests and judges, uh, misleading Israel into sinful ways. Yet no one is saying that the Tanakh, the Jewish Bible, is anti-Semitic for obvious reasons. Uh, and additionally, the New Testament records non-Jews at a certain point in history doing really bad things, 
Pilate, Centurions, Praetorian Guard, idolaters, and says some really harsh things about Gentiles. But I don't see many people accusing the New Testament of being anti-Gentile or anti-Roman or anti-Italian. Um, so yeah, just keep that like in mind as we read each and every one of these. It's a description of some Jewish people doing, at a certain point in history, doing some bad things, but there's no command following that to hate, harm, or kill them. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think that's important uh, that just because it's, it's like if you see somebody doing a bad thing, the racist mentality is, well, that's because of their their heritage or their skin color. And we wouldn't do that with people of our own race. But racists tend to do that. Like, you know, like KKK members will be like, well, the reason why there's so much crime in black communities is, you know, because of their skin and their heritage, which is pure nonsense. But they won't do that if a white person commits a crime. That That's something different. Uh, and yeah. so before we get into that, though, I want to I do want to bring up a study really quickly about this whole uh, anti-Semitism thing in Christianity. So let me see if I get that up. Yep, here we go. OK, so this was a study done in 2010. Important study, uh, ladies and gentlemen, looking at racism within religiosity. And I've read this through numerous times. I've used it in various videos. But if we get down to table two, Christian orthodoxy does not lead to racism, prejudice, these kinds of things. You can see it's not it's in the non-significant range. Anything below 0.1 is going to be within non-significance for, for an R value. Uh, intrinsic religiosity, again, non-significant. What is significant would be extrinsic religiosity and religious fundamentalism. And extrinsic religiosity is not when you're religious because you want to follow the core tenets of the faith. That's intrinsic religiosity. Extrinsic religiosity is you go to church, you're religious for external reasons. Like you just like being a part of a social group. Uh, and so... Interestingly enough, when people follow the core tenets of Christianity, Christian orthodoxy uh, and intrinsic religiosity, it, it points away, even though it's non-significant from racism. So we don't see coming out of the New Testament, anti-Semitism, racism, these kinds of things. It just doesn't flow from it. So interesting mm -hmm. thing to point in there as well. So uh, so you guys ready to get to some of those passages now? Yeah. All right. Let's put this up back on the screen here. All right. What is this one? What is this clearly anti-Semitic passage we're about to cover? All right. So this is a very commonly utilized one. Uh, Matthew 27, uh, 24 through 26. It says, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Now, before we get into that, I just want to put something else up on the screen here. Like, when again, when I posted on Twitter today, just posted on Twitter, uh, very nice guy, an atheist, but Justin over at Real Atheology said, just brought this passage up in a quote tweet right away. And he was like, certainly Matthew's portrayal of the Jewish people is an unrealistic as it is anti-Semitic. So here we go. This is a Typical passage that people use to try to show the New Testament is anti-Semitic, either by uh, people that just are obviously like Justin is clearly not racist. He's not anti-Semitic at all, but he thinks maybe the New Testament might be pointing in that direction. So, yeah, mm -hmm. right then and there, we, we are seeing that people do use this passage. So let me put your guys stuff back up there. So what is your guys response to this? How response to Justin in, in, in this example? How is this passage not anti-Semitic? Yeah, so I guess first to address the uh, person commenting there. So 
Yeah, so an atheist, they may not be anti-Semitic themselves, but maybe like him, I, I've at least heard others, they try to use this as an objection to whether one should follow the New Testament. And they'll say, you shouldn't because it is anti-Semitic, uh, because the gospel writers uh, depicted Jewish people in this manner. So it's it's unlikely that a Jewish person would, that this Jewish crowd would say such a thing, that his blood be on us and on our children. Therefore, it's uh, unlikely, like it's historically unreliable. A Jewish person wouldn't say that. Um, Matthew clearly just inserted it himself in order to uh, assert anti-Semitism. Um, but actually the phrasing that they use is actually very Jewish. Um, mm -hmm. So there's really nothing that triggers a thought of like, it's not historical. Um, uh, for example, in Ezekiel 18, um, there's this, it's really a long, a long passage talking about uh, responsibility, um, but it gives off a, a list of various sins. Um, and then at the end in verse 13, uh, it says, he shall not live. He has done all these abominations, the hypothetical sinner that Ezekiel is talking about. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon himself. Mm -hmm. And this is actually taken from language found in the Torah. And we actually find it repeated in the Talmud itself, where a list of sins is, is given. And as just an idiom, that is not a curse, which I'll talk about a little bit more. It's just a way of saying, like, you're guilty or you bear responsibility. Um, in fact, we, we use a phrase very much like this today, like you have blood on your hands. You know, that's not a curse. Um, is in, in fact, it's not even always meant literally, but metaphorically to say like, oh, you bear responsibility, like you influenced whatever happened. Um, you have blood on your hands. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's historically plausible. So really that form of the objection um, doesn't hold water um, to me. And so to go back to the text, I actually think like, when you just read the text, there's there's actually nothing obviously anti-Semitic about it or Matthew's decision to record it. Um, like I said before, we'll be repeating this a lot. Uh, there's no instruction or implication to hate, harm, or kill Jewish people in light of the actions and words of these particular Jewish people. And there's nothing anti-Semitic about Matthew recording a group of Jewish people doing a really bad thing. Is Moses anti-Semitic for recording that Israel worshiped a golden calf? Nope. And neither is Matthew for recording a group of Jewish people playing a role in the death of Jesus. So that's just, again, the general point being applied here to Matthew 27. So the anti-Semitic claim, though, is they'll say the Jews killed Jesus and called for an eternal curse against themselves and all Jews after them. And what's hidden, hidden implication is that God actually heeded their request and did, in fact, curse all Jewish people for all time. Uh, therefore, they deserve to be hated, harmed and killed. Uh, even by those who, you know, follow the New Testament. Um, so first of all, just as all these are, it's a non sequitur. Um, so even if only Jewish people killed Jesus, and even if they were cursed for eternity, it does not follow that, therefore, uh, followers of the New Testament uh, should hate, harm, and kill Jewish people. Uh, again, the prevailing command of the New Testament is to love God and love your neighbor. Uh, and in fact, if... If you're convinced that the Jewish person is your enemy, well, then Jesus says that you should love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So that, that's what the New Testament says, how you should uh, treat uh, even those that maybe you do happen to hate, even though in this case it'd be unjustifiably. 
Um, and again, like I said before, uh, this is not a curse. Um, and anti-Semitism, um, we'll say that like those who promote the anti-Semitic uh, interpretation, mm -hmm. uh, they'll say that history has proven the, the curse interpretation. They'll point to the destruction of the temple, oh. the exile from the land, Jewish persecution throughout history. Uh, like that, that's how they'll say like, see, it must've been a curse. Look at how bad uh, the Jews have, have had it. Um, except they never seem to account for the fact that Gentile followers of Jesus were included in all of those things. Um, and also Jewish followers of Jesus. Paul, Peter, and early Jesus followers were persecuted by Rome. Um, and then Paul in 2 Timothy 3.12 says to Gentile uh, believers, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Messiah Jesus will be persecuted. And we see this all throughout history and leading up to today. Uh, recently, we've seen examples in Egypt and New Zealand, uh, Christians being murdered um, as being recent prominent examples. So essentially, like, that's just, you just can't make that connection. Like, experiencing persecution for hundreds of years throughout history does not necessarily mean that you're under a curse. And um, maybe exile is like the best thing you can point to. Um, but if exile indicates that Israel is under a curse, then guess what? Israel has the highest Jewish population in the world right now. And in Jewish understanding, exile is actually is not an end in itself. It's not a marker that God uh, has put a curse on the Jewish people. It's actually a means to an end. Exile always carries with it the hope of restoration. And so it's actually a loving act on God's behalf um, to exile the Jewish people in order to then bring back. That's the story of the Tanakh. It's exile and return, exile and return. Exactly. So um, there, there's nothing anti-Semitic you could do um, with this passage. Yeah. Uh, and so like when I've seen this passage, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's I like how at first you point out it's not unrealistic. This, this goes back to the Tanakh, we see this phrase, blood upon someone in there. So it's not unrealistic, as you pointed out. It's also not anti-Semitic because you're overstating what the passage says. It does not refer to a curse. Now, and I would like your take on this, guys. When I was a kid, and I remember reading this, I thought this was a good thing. Like, this is what you want. Aren't we healed by the blood of Jesus? Isn't his blood supposed to cover us? Isaiah 53, that Christians do typology with, by his stripes we are healed. Like, when I heard that, when I first read that as a kid, I was like, yes, this is great. Absolutely, people should want the blood of Jesus on them. Yeah. Like, this is one of the things I never understood, how this was supposed to be a curse. If anything, in Christian theology, this is pointing to Jesus healing the Jewish people if you look at it in that context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you want to look at a, I, I, yeah, it's his dissertation mm -hmm. arguing for that very point. It's by Nicholas Shazer. It's called Matthew and the Rabbis, Symbol and Scripture and Gospel and Midrash. Um, and that's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to yeah. uh, overextend what the text is saying, first let's read Ma uh, in Matthew 26, what does Jesus say? He says that it's the, his blood that provides forgiveness of sins. And so if you want to read into the text, you could read it in the total opposite direction and say, oh, then these Jewish people must guaranteed to be saved <laughs> and forgiven. Yeah, like, I always thought this as being anti-anti-Semitic like anti in that it's clearly saying that the blood of Jesus is also going to cover the Jewish people or just the, that crowd that was there. I never understood how anyone could interpret this as anti-Semitic. 
in mm -hmm. light of the whole New Testament, especially, yeah. especially with you just mentioned Matthew 26 right there. It's oh, it's a, I don't get it. I don't it's wild stuff, guys. I don't get it. Yeah, it really is. And, and really, the, the last point I want to make with this uh, verse is that because the other premise that this relies on is that the anti-Semitic person would say is like only the Jews killed Jesus. Um, but we see that and we should know from our theology uh, and from historical reading of, of Acts that everyone played a role in Jesus's death. Mm -hmm. So Acts 4, 27 through 28 uh, says, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So we get a full list of those who uh, played a role in the death of Jesus. We have Herod, he was a Jewish leader, Pontius Pilate, a Gentile leader, and they were both appointed by Rome. And then we have the Gentiles, so all non-Jews, and we have the people of Israel. No one escapes that list. <laughs> Furthermore, the list continues to say that this is according to what God had planned and predestined. So does God deserve any blame for the death of Jesus? Uh, in fact, uh, Jesus's final words on the cross in Matthew, uh, you would expect him to say, if the anti-Semite is right, like, my God, my God, why have the Jews forsaken me? Uh, but he <laughs> says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's crying mm -hmm. out to, to God for why he's on, on the cross. Um, and then to go back to basic New Testament theology, why did Jesus die? He died because of the sins of us, of all of humankind. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our sins make us worthy uh, for death and eternity apart from God in torment. Uh, but Jesus died the death that we deserve so that we may not perish, uh, but have eternal life. And whoever confesses uh, with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead uh, will experience forgiveness of their sins and a transformed life by the power of the Holy Spirit and eternity with God. Uh, Romans 5.24 says, It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, and then 1 Peter 2.24, which is actually quoting Isaiah 53, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Peter says, He himself bore our sins and his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So if, mm -hmm. if you have sinned, then you bear responsibility for Jesus's death too. Correct. Absolutely. All right. You guys ready to move to the next passage? Yep. Yep. All right. Let's go to it. All right. So John 8.44. I'll, I'll start by reading the text and it says, you are of the you are of your father, the devil. And this is where Yeshua is speaking to what John calls the Jews. And he says, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So, the anti-Semitic claim here is that the Jews are evil. They are children of the devil. And this is, this is a really, really uh, harsh accusation. And if you read it in that way, where John calls, he uses the phrase, the Jews, uh, throughout, his, uh, throughout his gospel, you can, you can see how this, this has been used by anti-Semites to say that Jews are evil. They're children of the devil in general. 
Mm-hmm. So to address this claim, we need to understand who the Jews are in John's gospel, because John, as I said, repeatedly uses this phrase where he refers to a group that he calls the Jews, hoi yudaioi. So I want to start by arguing that in John, he usually the Jews does not mean all Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to give some examples to show why that's the case. So Look at the first usage of the word, the, the phrase, the Jews in John. It's in John chapter one, verse 19, where we read, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And then skipping down to verse 24 through 25, now they have been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him then, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah nor Elijah nor the prophet? So here you have the Jews who sent priests and Levites are priests and Levites not Jews also, right? So what John is doing here is he's saying, the he's identifying the Jews in the beginning of his gospel as coming from the Pharisees, a specific Jewish group. In John 7, verse 1, it says, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So are we to think that there were no Jews in Galilee? Like, <laughs> that, that, doesn't work. It's, it, John is talking about a specific group of Jews. In John 7, verse 11 through 13, John says, the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Yeshua, Jesus, and saying, where is he? And where was, and there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So these are Jewish people that are afraid of the Jews. But my point here is that throughout John's gospel, you see that the Jews is a specific, usually a specific group among other Jewish groups, among other Jewish people. So what, yeah. why, this is, why this is relevant um, is that we need to understand who, who the Jews are that, that Yeshua, that Jesus is speaking to um, in John chapter 8. But to understand, again, the identity of who the Jews are, we need to actually go to uh, John chapter 9. So I'll read what, what John chapter 9 uh, says, because this is a text where Yeshua or Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And in verse 24, the Jews, where John says, the Jews interrogate the man, and they say, and this is what it says. So for the second time, they called, him, called the man who had, been, who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though, one thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to do you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want me? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I think that's really funny that uh, John's, uh, that, that he says that, by the way. But when you read uh, in verse 28, it says that, speaking of the Jews, it says, and they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. So that's key. Um, because what there's this one scholar, his name's uh, Martinus C. DeBoer, and, and in his essay, The Depiction of the Jews in John's Gospel, Matters of Behavior and Identity, he writes this, highlighting the significance of John 9. He says, the interrogators, the Jews here, define themselves not with reference to the region in which they live or originate, nor with reference to their ethnic identity, but with reference to Moses, that is in religious terms. The Jews in the narrative thus understand themselves to be above all else, disciples of Moses. And it is as such that the Johannine Jesus repeatedly enters into debate with them. So DeBoer's point, he points out that the interrogators of the formerly blind man 
they're making a strong they're making a strong stance that if you allow yourself, if you follow Jesus, you are not a disciple of Moses. They're not, and they're not the only Jewish group to, to do this. They're not the only Jewish group to identify themselves as disciples of Moses, in contrast to another Jewish group. In the Babylonian Talmud in Yoma 3a, uh, one, one, one group of Torah scholars describes themselves as disciples of Moses, in contrast to the Sadducees, who they say are not disciples of Moses. So the short answer here is that John refers to a group of authoritative Pharisaic Jews who want to kill Jesus as the Jews in an ironic and even sarcastic way. He does this because while claiming to be disciples of disciples of Moses, by denying Jesus' messiahship, they are not actually listening to Moses who wrote about Jesus, as John, as we read about in John 5.46. So John calls this group, the Jews, as a sarcastic dig. It's John's way of saying that the group denying that followers of Jesus are disciples of Moses, they themselves are not living up to what it means to be a Jew, obeying Moses. In Christian terms, this is like saying, you're not being biblical. So John's use of the Jews is, is not anti-Semitic slur. It's an inter-Jewish sarcastic criticism. Right. Okay, so that's the, that's the context that we need when we approach John chapter 8, verse 44. So let's read again. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So right here, Jesus is not saying that all Jews are children of the devil. He's criticizing a particular group of Jews. In fact, in John 4, verse 9, Jesus is identified as a Jew. And mm -hmm. in John 4, 22, Jesus says salvation is from the Jews, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was so, going to bring that up, so I'm glad you did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So why does Jesus say, You're the, you are of your father the devil? That's a good question. So he's saying this because this group is seeking to kill him. Just read John 8, 37 through 44, where he says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do not know, and you do what sorry, I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And skipping to verse 41, we read, They said to him, We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And then that's where you get the, the, the passage in John 8, 44, where he's calling them their father uh, is the devil, where he says, you are your, of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. So Jesus claims that these Jews are of the, their father, the devil. And he's not saying that they are biologically from the devil. Like these Jewish people are these creatures that are spawns of Satan. That's not what he's saying there, right? He's saying that the devil is the father of their hate for him and their desire to kill him. It's their, he's the originator of that, that desire and that behavior that they have, seeking to kill him. I mean, remember what Jesus said to Peter when he told, when he told Jesus that he shouldn't go up to Jerusalem to suffer, die, and rise from the dead? In Matthew mm -hmm. 16, 23, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So when Jesus calls Peter Satan, we know that he is not saying that he is actually an, an incarnation of the devil. He's saying that the action of trying to stop Jesus from going to Jerusalem to fulfill God's will is coming from Satan. That's not from God. And we see the same thing in John 8, 44. Jesus is saying that a particular group of Jews, th that their hate for him and their desire to kill him comes from the devil.
So John 8:44 is not anti-Semitic at all. It's an intra-Jewish debate with, with the Jewish between the Jewish Jesus and Pharisaic Jews. He speaks to them with such strong language because he's so close with them. They're part of his Jewish community, his Jewish family. Even in the Babylonian Talmud, we read about one rabbi who criticizes his brother for disagreeing with him on a ruling. And in his criticism, he calls his brother the firstborn of Satan. So mm -hmm. Jewish people argue and it can get heated, but that doesn't mean that doesn't equate to anti-Semitism. It's like a, it's like calling your brother an SOB. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly. yeah, let's not do that. But yeah, this is, you know, what this reminds me of is like, you know, uh, like I'm from Pittsburgh. And so you know, the penguin, the Pittsburgh penguins are a hockey team there. And sometimes they would play like, for example, a team from Canada and they'd say like, we're going to annihilate those Canadians. It doesn't mean, we're going to beat every Canadian. It's talking about right. a particular group coming across to play a hockey game. It's you were in it, as you guys pointed out, if you look in the context, clearly John is referring to a specific group, not right. all Jews, which should make obvious sense since Jesus was a Jew. His disciples were Jewish. It's mm -hmm. like, guys, come on. Totally. There's a little reason here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the author of John was Jewish too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. What's the next passage you got for us? So the next one is Revelation 2, 9 and 3, 9, kind of touch on the same idea. Then the this one does not take long. Well, hold uh, on. Real, so. Before you guys get there, we did get a super chat related to this. So I want to put this up now. Thank you, Joshua, with a super chat. He says, doesn't, doesn't what synagogue of Satan mean in the context of Revelation is those who claim they are Jews and are not like the black Hebrew Israelites and the Muslims who claim they are the only descendants of Abraham's seed. So is that, does that relate to this or do you guys want to address that separately? Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's related. Um, and to add to his list, I've talked to Hebrew Roots and one lot of people who say that they're Jews. I've talked <laughs> to Christians who say that they're the true Jews. Um, so yeah, there's plenty of modern day examples of what's happening here in uh, the first century of people who say they are Jews and are not. Um, yeah. And so yeah, I, I'm not Jewish. To... As you can see behind me, that cabinet, I'm clearly Scottish. So. <laughs> There we go. Yeah. And so luckily John is very straightforward or the author of Revelation here is very straightforward. Um, and he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, uh, but you are rich and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Then three, nine, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. So this is quick and easy one. Uh, both verses literally say that they are not Jews. Uh, verse 3-9 literally says that those calling themselves Jewish are lying. And uh, what helps support this is uh, Revelation 2-2, two, two, so just a few verses before 2-9. It says... I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So nobody is saying that Revelation 2.2 is in reference to apostles, and they're just ignoring the are not and found them to be false part. Um, so they take this for face value. There are those who call themselves apostles and are not, and they are found to be false. That's exactly what we see here in Revelation 2, 9 and 3, 9. So as Joshua brought up, this is a phenomenon that we see even today. Um, 
I, I'd like to add uh, another thing to the list um, that I think is probably the most likely um, in the first century here uh, is that it could be they Gentiles who conceive of themselves as converted to Judaism. So they went through some sort of circumcision process to become Jewish. Um, but in the Jewish world, um, really throughout history, but especially during the Second Temple period, uh, there's a lot of debate about whether, one, whether a Gentile, whether it's even possible for a Gentile to convert via circumcision and become a Jewish person. Um, but then even within that, which form of circumcision is valid, you know? Like Philo has a type of circumcision that he thinks is valid, but others will disagree with that. Uh, Matthew Thiessen has a great book called Contesting Conversion, where he talks about the history of this, um, of just like how Jewish people debated the validity of Gentile conversion to Judaism, particularly through the process of circumcision. So these very well could have been uh, Gentiles who conceive of themselves as Jewish because they went through some process, but John or the author of, of Revelation doesn't view it as a valid conversion. Um, but really, it could be any number of things. There were God fears, so Gentiles who didn't, they didn't circumcise, but they participated in a lot of Jewish traditions. They could have conceived of themselves as Jewish. Um, but no matter who these people actually were, we could just take Revelation at face value and say, like, yeah. whoever they are, they are not Jews. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I swear some of these anti-Semites, they, they just, they don't know how to read. Like, they'll just see yeah. Synagogue of Satan, and that's it. That's, that, they go back to their coloring books. Uh, they don't even read the context. It's really, right. really ridiculous when you have to deal with them. Just, like, just read the verse. Like, you'll see what yeah. it's actually talking about. Like, yeah. 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 All right. What, what is, um, anything else you want to add, or do you want to get to the next passage? Uh, just a quick thing again, Jesus calling Peter Satan, you know, it, it didn't make it anti-Semitic. Um, again, strong rhetoric is used. So synagogue of Satan, even if you don't want to be convinced by what the text says that they're not Jews, but you want, you want to think that they're Jews, um, being labeled synagogue of Satan is just inter-Jewish could have just been an inter-Jewish, uh, insult. So Correct. that too. Yep. Oh boy. Right. You serpents, you brought of vipers. Here we go. Yep. All right. So Matthew 23, 33, where Yeshua or Jesus is talking to Pharisees here. And he says, he calls them serpents. He says, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you going to es escaping sentence to hell? Okay. So the anti-Semitic claim here is that Jewish people are evil. They are, as Jesus describes them, a brood of vipers. So this is, we need to address this. And in order to address this, we need to understand the, the context of Matthew 23 and also the, the larger Jewish context of the first century and first century Second Temple Judaism. So the first point, Pharisees do not represent all Jews, right? There were many different Jewish groups in the first century in Second Temple Judaism. And according to Craig Keener, Pharisees made up less than 0.5% of the Jewish population in Israel during the first century. And he's actually combining Sadducees, Essenes, and Pharisees in, in that 0.5%, less than 0.5%. So this is a very, very small percentage of the Jewish population. They don't represent all of Jews. Remember also that Jesus is a Jew himself. 
he's strongly he is strongly criticizing a group of Pharisees. And again, this is not all Pharisees. These are a particular group of Pharisees who are who are in sin, who are committing very serious sins. But he is critiquing Jesus being a Jew strongly critiques a particular group of Pharisees for hypocrisy and defiling the temple through bloodshed. And in doing so, he calls them serpents and brood of vipers. You you read it and read it in context. You you serpents in Matthew 23, 33 through 35. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that so that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on earth, from the blood of the righteous of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Bechariah, whom you murder between the sanctuary and the altar. So he, Jesus is charging these Pharisees with bloodshed, which actually defile the temple, which causes God's presence to leave it. He's, this, is, this is very serious. And Jesus was not the only Jew who strongly criticized another Jewish group. Long before Jesus, Isaiah says the following words to Israel for their sins of idolatry in Isaiah 59, verse 3, 5, and 7 through 8. I'll read. For your hands are defiled with, bl with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies. And from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their works are works of iniquity and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. So Isaiah says all this because of Israel's sins, but that does not make him anti-Semitic, and no one would make the claim, right, at least justifiably, that Isaiah is anti-Semitic. But another Jewish group that we can look at that, that actually is very close to the, the charge Yeshua is making against uh, these Pharisees for their defiling of the temple is actually the Qumran community. So the Qumran community, they believe that certain priests defile the Jerusalem temple, resulting in sacrifices losing their efficacy to atone, which is why they left and went to Qumran to have their own community outside of the Jerusalem temple. So in the Damascus document, also known as CD, uh, chapter five or six through nine, the community actually calls out certain priests that forsake the Torah. It says that through their incestuous relations and sexual activity, during their partner, partner's menstrual period, they defiled the Jerusalem temple. And here is the response to these priests that the Qumran community uh, records in the Damascus document, uh, 5, 12 through 13, where it says, they have reviled the statutes of God's covenant, saying they are not well-founded. All of them are kindlers and lighters of brands. The webs of a spider's are their webs, and the eggs of vipers are their eggs. So the Qumran community, they're not being anti-Semitic when they strongly criticize another Jewish group for morally defiling the temple, and neither is Jesus when he strongly criticizes a group of Pharisees for their morally, moral defiling of the temple. In fact, the Qumran community went even further than Jesus. They were, they were, they were instructed to hate non-community members, where we read in the community rule, 1QS19, hate all the children of darkness. They even prayed that God would not forgive apostates in 1QS 2.8. So no one is calling the Qumran community anti-Semitic because they are because they're Jews themselves. This is an intra-Jewish polemic debate, right? Um, so in contrast to the Qumran community, after Jesus strongly criticizes the group of Pharisees who defiled the temple, Jesus laments and expresses his love for his people 
and echoes Psalm 91.4, expressing his desire to protect his people, where he says, how often I would have how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing for Matthew 23, 37. So Jesus speaks so harshly. So like, why is Jesus speaking so harshly here? Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're committing a serious sin, which causes God's presence to leave the temple. But Jesus speaks so harshly because he loves Israel. He loves the Jew, his Jewish brothers who are Pharisees. They are his family. He hates their hypocrisy and that they morally defiled the temple through bloodshed, but he does not hate them. He loves them. And also Jesus is speaking to particular Pharisees, not all Pharisees fit, fit the description in Matthew 23, such as Paul, who again, as we mentioned earlier, after coming to faith in Jesus, continued to identify himself as a Pharisee. So that's how I would address yeah. that, that passage. Absolutely. And before we move on, I want to throw in one more passage in Matthew here really yeah. quickly, because I'll see, you know, some anti-Semites use this one. They'll talk about uh, this parable of the tenets, and then Jesus says at the end, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing fruit. And the anti-Semites will go, you see, the, the kingdom has been removed from the Jewish people and it's been given to Christians. And this has been thoroughly addressed in this book I mentioned, the historical Jesus in the temple. Uh, but of course, you can address it using two of your brain cells when it says just two verses later, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived he was speaking of that. Yeah. Okay, so Jesus isn't speaking of all the Jewish people. He's speaking of the chief priests and the Pharisees, and he's giving the kingdom to his disciples. I mean, Matthew talks about Peter being given the keys, like playing on that Elikum idea in the book of Isaiah, given the keys to the kingdom. Uh, it's not, again, moving from the Jewish people to the Gentiles. It's moving from the chief priests and the Pharisees to Jesus's own Jewish disciples. Okay, right. So it's like, yep. so... <laughs> Again, just read read the context, guys. Yeah. I don't know how you come away with the New Testament being anti-Semitic. Just read the context. Yep. Yep. Keep on reading. <laughs> Definitely. All right. What's the next one we got here? So the next one is First Thessalonians 2, 14 through 16. It says, For you, brothers, become became imitators of the churches of God in uh, Messiah Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. So the first point I'd like to make is that the very first line here is that Paul <laughs> is telling Thessalonians Gentiles to imitate Jews. So it says for you brothers became imitators of the Churches of God in Messiah Jesus that are in Judea. These would have been oh, Jewish I don't have followers. A ball cap. I can't imitate you. I don't have a ball cap. <laughs> These are Jewish All followers right. of Jesus in Judea. So right off the bat, it can't be anti-Semitic because Paul is instructing the Gentiles to imitate a fellow or to imitate the Jewish people in Judea. And uh, we know this because the, of the next line, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So remember what Jonathan was talking about in uh, in the book of John, how the Jews can mean a variety of subgroups within the Jewish people. Uh, one of those varieties is referencing Jewish people in Judea, which very naturally. And so these Jewish followers of uh, Jesus in Judea suffered from their own countrymen, the Jews, in Judea. So these would have been Jewish followers of 
of Jesus mm -hmm. up here. And so then those are particular Jews. So that's how we know it's not anti-Semitic. And then the rest of the verse, Paul is, yes, he's describing some Jewish people at a certain point in history doing a really bad thing, and they're experiencing the consequences of that. But Moses is not anti-Semitic for doing the same thing. Isaiah is not anti-Semitic for doing the same thing. And there's no command afterwards to hate, harm, or kill Jewish people. And yeah. just as a little bonus point, there's the possibility that there's a misleading comma in our translations. Um, and so if you ever look at a Greek, ancient Greek manuscript, you'll notice that there's no punctuation. There isn't even spaces in between words. And so the punctuation that we find in our translations are often part of that translation process. We have to try to figure out uh, whether there should be a comma and do pretty much grammatical translation as well. And uh, there's a interesting article. It is called the misleading, here, let me pull it up. The Problem of the Anti-Semitic Comma Between 1 Thessalonians 2, 14, and 15 by Frank Gilliard, so G-I-L-L-I-A-R-D, where, where he makes the case that essentially this comma right here, after the Jews, shouldn't be there. So in English, a comma followed by a phrase like this, it makes it unrestrictive, so it makes it sound like the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus, like all the Jews killed Jesus, and like they're suffering all of these things. Um, but if you remove the comma, well, then all of a sudden it's a restrictive clause. So it's the Jews, the particular Jews who killed both Lord Jesus and the prophets. So which is very in line with the rest of the context, as I just showed that this is talking about particular Jewish people. Um, so and that's I'm, an article to check out if curious about guys, it. Guys, I just want to emphasize how important proper grammar is commas can save <laughs> or ruin lives just so you know yeah. so as you can see here's a perfect example where a comma has led to anti-semitism and ignoring the context as well when honestly like yet yeah, just utter nonsense but yeah it's, it's amazing how much commas can do in english yeah 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 no that's the, that's a great Very analogy cool. right there yeah so yeah and I, it, it, it's just kind of weird it's like sometimes you'll see like people on the extreme right, like anti-Semitic people, and people on the extreme left, like the woke, sometimes can be two sides of the same coin. If if anything in the New Testament is criticizing anybody who's Jewish, well, the New Testament is anti-Semitic. And both anti-Semites and the woke crowd will pick up on that, one to attack the New Testament, one to try to use the New Testament mm -hmm. for their for their gains. And it's like, like, can we criticize people for their actions and not assume it has anything to do with their race? Like, can we like, is that a possibility? I don't know. Maybe it's a thing I, I, I weird idea I have there. So real quick, before we get to the last passage, you guys can get some super chats in. We'll start yep. going through those. We're going to ignore um, the anti-Semitic comments that have been in the live chat because screw those guys. We're going home. Uh, we're not going to focus on that. So you guys can just expect us to ignore that nonsense. We're not going to be bringing that up, but we will get to your super chats in a moment. If you guys are ready to move on to the next passage. Yep. All right. So the last passage here we'll address um, this part is Philippians 3, 2, where we read Paul saying, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Okay. So the anti-Semitic claim here is that Paul calls Jews dogs, evildoers, and those who mutilate the flesh, speaking of like circumcision, right? 
So to address this, we need to remember that Paul is a Jew himself, right? In Acts 21, also in Acts 21, you read how there are myriads, there are thousands of Jews who follow Jesus. And in Romans 9, 5, Paul says that even Jewish people who don't believe in, in Yeshua and Jesus, they still currently have the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the Torah, the worship and the promises, the patriarchs, the Messiah, right? So we need to keep this in mind that calling Jewish people evildoers and dogs, like that would not be a description of all Jewish people if that's who Paul is referencing here. But even so, uh, even so, even if Paul is speaking to Jews in Philippians 3, he's not saying that all Jewish people are dogs or evildoers, but who is Paul speaking to, right? Who are his opponents here? Well, in Galatians 5, Paul strongly, I, mean, I think Galatians is a helpful context for this. In Galatians 5, Paul strongly opposes a group of Gentiles who attempt to earn salvation by having themselves circumcised, right? In, in the Galatians chapter 5. And Paul says there how, like, if that's what you want to do, you might as well just castrate yourself. He, he uses very strong language that like he's against Gentiles uh, cutting their foreskin for the purposes of salvation, right? So in Philippians 3, it looks like Paul is opposing the group who is trying to convince Gentile followers of Jesus to cut their foreskin, right? New Testament scholar, Dr. Andrew Rolera, he points out that Greeks use dog, kuon, uh, as a quote, as a euphemism for the penis and also for the sexually aroused erect penis. So this makes a lot of, this makes a lot of sense of the text. Paul says that his opponents are those who mutilate the flesh. Paul considers Gentile males cutting the foreskin, not, uh, he considers Gentile males cutting their foreskin as a sort of mutilation, which is why in Philippians 3.3, Paul says, for we are the circumcision, right? So what does he mean there? Well, the, the letter of Philippians is written by Paul and Timothy. So in contrast to these Gentiles who are telling other Gentiles to cut their foreskin so they could be justified or saved, he's saying, no, that's not circumcision. That's mutilation. We are the circumcision, Paul and Timothy, who are actually Jewish. And then he goes mm -hmm. on to say that himself, he, he was circumcised on the eighth day, he, unlike those who mutilate the penis. So right. Paul was circumcised in the eighth day, and unlike the evildoers, right? So in Philippians 3.2, Paul uses the euphemism for penis to make a derogatory charge against a group that is a threat to Gentile followers of Jesus. So this is not an example of an anti-Semitic text. This is Paul protecting the Philippians from false teachers. Exactly. Yeah. Again, it's it's one of those things we get with anti-Semites. It's They can't read context. It's like they're immune to it. It's and quite honestly, it's probably because they're not they're not interested in what the Bible says. They have an agenda and they're just going to find little bits and pieces to fit that agenda. Yeah. So, yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous when we come exactly. to these types of things. Yeah. I mean, when we approaching this and preparing for this, I had in mind and talking to Eric, too, that those who are anti-Semitic, I don't want them to use our scripture to promote their anti-Semitism when it doesn't even exist there. Right. So I don't want anyone who's, who's an anti-Semitic Semitic person who hates Jews to take our scripture and take things out of context and say, look, see, the New Testament hates Jews, is opposed to Jews, is anti-Semitic, um, because it's really, uh, that is not what it teaches. And if you really care about what the scripture says, what the New Testament says, you'll read it in context and especially read it in its Jewish context, as we've done here to see how, uh, no, the New Testament affirms uh, that God's love for Jewish people and among other things that he's the Jewish Messiah who calls Jews to remain Jewish. This is a Jewish message, right? Um, and there's not a single indication to, for uh, the hatred or killing of Jewish people. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about Christianity. It's, it's the idea that we can come as we are. We don't have to adopt a certain culture. Like you see sometimes in Islam, various sects are like, no, no, you got to basically live as an Arab. Like it's, it's really cool. Uh, great. Eric's back. You were frozen there for a second. looks like Medusa got you, uh, but welcome back. Um, so yeah, it's like one of those things I think is really a, one of the superior aspects of Christianity is we can be who we are, you know, without the sec, you know, without the immorality aspect, that's what we get rid of when we become Christian, but we don't get rid exactly. of like cultural aspects. You know, right. I think that's very important that in Christianity, Jews are still Jews. Gentiles are still Gentiles. I'm still Scottish. It's just Scottish slash Irish. It's just the yeah. way it is. And that, that's one of the beauties we have here. So uh, anything else you guys want to say before we get to super chats, Eric, you were kind of frozen there for a little bit. Um, um, the new Testament is not anti-Semitic. Well, yeah. Very well and, said. Um, do you own a kilt? That's my question. I do not because I'm an American and we don't wear dresses, okay. sir. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. I may be Scottish in heritage, but I am I am red-blooded American. So gotcha. Okay. So all right, let's get to some super chats. We already did this one from Joshua. Just put it back up. Thank you. We addressed that earlier. Uh, here's a super chat for you guys. Why call me- yourself or them Messianic Jews instead of Christians? Yeah, I think it's really a, a matter of clarity um if i were to say i'm a christian then i think the person hearing that will assume that i go to church on sunday i eat pork i you know don't wear a kippah when i you know read the word and when i pray that i don't wear a talus in the morning um that i don't do jewish liturgy uh when i go to my messianic synagogue on saturdays um so it's really just a matter of accuracy in my book because there's yes i know literally christian means a follower of messiah but there's also the connotation that it means all of these different behaviors um that would not accurately capture the way i worship um jesus so yeah did you add anything to that jonathan um yeah i that's exactly why i also identify as a messianic jew and i'm fine just calling myself jewish right um but this is where we are two messianic jews and that's really something we want to highlight that um messianic judaism being a messianic jew um is very positive because it really captures that we are following yeshua we're following jesus while retaining our jewish identity and practice which we find very consistent with the new testament teaches yeah and actually from for Jewish ears, oh, so I described it earlier as like from Christian ears, but for Jewish ears, Christian just means not Jewish. Um, so that would also be inaccurate for me right. when talking to a Jewish person. If I were to call myself a Christian, mm-hmm. then to them, they're hearing, oh, you're not Jewish when I am Jewish. So those are the, some different reasons why. Right. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's relevant. I, I mean, we, we all follow Christ. That's all that's important. But have you guys considered this that actually... The Germanic peoples and the Celts are the lost tribes of Israel. So, have you guys considered that I am apparently somehow? This <laughs> is <laughs> so ridiculous. There's a really, really bad book I read by someone named David C. Pack once that tried to argue this nonsense that the, <laughs> the Fran and Manasseh were like somehow settled in the British Isles, and it's like, what are you talking about? Oh well, Someone more up. people who say they're Jews and are not, you know. So. Everyone wants to be Jewish. It's it's the, everyone wants to be Jewish, but they also there's a rise of anti-Semitism. So we have this love-hate relationship growing on. It's yeah, ridiculous. it doesn't it doesn't make sense. I want to address this comment really quickly. Why is inspiring philosophy so obsessed with defending Jews recently? Well, because I read the Bible, sir. Um, I'm called to. 
uh, defend um, the heritage of the Bible comes from the Jewish people. I mean, read Romans 11. We've been grafted onto the tree and we need to respect the tree that we came from. Uh, Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek, free nor slave. We are all one in Christ. Uh, I'm called to love all people, including the Jews. Uh, just, it just makes total sense. I mean, maybe you should use your head for a, a change and consider that. Uh, utter nonsense. But yeah, there's just no reason to be a Christian, be anti-Semitic. In fact, if you're anti-Semitic and, and you claim to be a Christian, I immediately become skeptical that you actually are. Same. There. So, All right. Thank you for the super chat. The condescending Redditor. That question is not really condescending, but hey, guy, where does... Where does this idea come from that Jesus wasn't a Jew? I often hear this from many Orthodox Christians. Are you guys familiar? So I, I can't speak to it from like the Orthodox Christian perspective. I'm not very familiar with where it may be coming from, from that tradition. But I know one influential force uh, is that a lot of New Testament, in a lot of ways, modern New Testament scholarship was born in Germany. Uh, in the the years directly preceding the Nazi reign in Germany. Um, and so kind of this burgeoning and pre-existing anti-Semitism that then manifested totally in the Nazi party. And, and even Nazis themselves, they had their own New Testament scholars that wrote papers, wrote books. They were influential in New Testament scholarship. And for obvious reasons, they tried very hard to make the case that Jesus was not Jewish because they are anti-Semitic and the fact that Jesus is Jewish was very problematic to them. <laughs> and so unfortunately that continued to, you know, that impacted people who were none the wiser, unfortunately. Um, but that's, that's one significant uh, reason why there's this idea that Jesus wasn't Jewish. Yeah. yeah and a little, a little bit about it in this book, he only briefly touches on the kind of stuff you were talking about in this book. Uh, but yeah, it does come from German scholarship a lot. And we do see um, the, the the heretical idea that came in the Nazi ideology. They call themselves positive Christians to differentiate themselves from Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox Christians. They were positive Christians, which is just a cult. And they taught that Jesus was this German. He didn't atone for sins. He was he had blonde hair, blue eyes, nonsense. Like it's that that's a lot where this comes from. It's this really ridiculous way to make Jesus not Jewish. It's just utter nonsense. Um. So the just to also add something here, um, the there's this thing called the Jewish reclamation of Jesus, right? And in the third quest for the historical Jesus, there's different quests that scholars have, have been on. And the third quest is really emphasizing the Jewishness of Jesus and understanding him within Second Temple Judaism. So the idea that Jesus was not a Jew, that is not taken seriously at all in New Testament scholarship. The question is not, was Jesus a Jew, but what kind of Jew was Jesus, to quote uh, one scholar. So the when you look at new testament scholarship today it's really just trying to understand jesus within his jewish context an excellent book uh, i'd recommend on this um for just reading the new testament uh the jewish let's see if i yeah the jewish annotated new testament the jewish annotated new testament by it was edited by amy Jill levine and mark brettler and these, these are both jewish scholars there's annotations for the New Testament, um, and each of the scholars who are annotating the New Testament are all Jewish. They're not Messianic. They're not Christian, but they're recognizing that this is a thoroughly this is a thoroughly Jewish book, part of Jewish history, and we should really understand it within its Jewish context. Oh, I I can't hear you, Michael. I can't either. Yeah, I actually turned okay. it on because there was a plane flying over, and so 
All right. So next super chat here. Why do you think judgment hasn't come to us in many ways? It hasn't come to other nations, even though America is a godless society. Um, I'll let you guys get your thoughts on this. The first thing I would say is um, don't believe the media. Yes, there is a lot of secularism in the U.S., but the U.S. still sends out more missionaries than any nation that has ever existed on planet Earth. Uh, we donate more to charity than any nation has ever existed on planet Earth. We give more food away than any nation that has ever existed on Earth. And quite honestly, if there are 10 righteous people in the U.S., Genesis 18, God isn't going to destroy us. Uh, it's, on, it's only when it gets so low. And, you know, I, I'm focused more on the positive aspects. I'm a post-millennialist. I think that, yeah, we're going through a phase right now where we're seeing an increase of secularism. But I think religiosity will bounce back because I think humans desire the sacred. Uh, a lot of young people I talk to want to become Catholic, Orthodox, Lutheran. Anglican, they want to get, embrace like these traditional uh, high churches that really have the sacred aspects there that they really enjoy. Uh, so I wouldn't be so pessimistic about this. There's still a lot good going on in the in the Christian West, um, even though we do see the rise of secularism. I think secularism is going to be a storm we're going to have to weather, but after the storm comes the growth. So I think seeds have been spread. We're going to experience the storm. And then out of that storm, Christianity will continue to grow in a few generations again. So no, America is not going to be destroyed because if it did, I think it would, it would take so much good away that God likes seeing right now. But what are your, what are your thoughts on this guys? Honestly, I'm happy with your answer. I tried, I actually tried to avoid answering these questions in my mind. Like, let's just all try to be better at loving God and loving each other. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, pray that judgment doesn't come. So yeah. that's, that's where so, I'm at. Studying the sociological aspects of this stuff is one of my, one of the things I love to do. And like, it, again, the media, if you listen to the media, yeah, it's all over for Christianity. But if you, if you study the statistics, it's not, it's just, it's just not, yeah, we're going through a dip uh, because of secularism, but secularism is a completely unstable system. It will not last it, it because just from birth rates alone, I mean, like you're the guy at my church, you got 12 kids. Okay. There's another guy at my church. He got five kids. I mean, like, I don't know any atheists that have 12 kids. I don't know any, yeah. like anyone I know who's got 12 kids is religious. So you're, we're going to see a bounce back. Don't worry about this stuff. Just keep spreading the gospel. Keep focusing on that and just wait a few generations for this, this trial to pass through. So same. Uh, thank you for the super chat again. Is to, so maybe isn't, isn't the whole Jewish hatred thing have to do with jealousy? I look at groups like Hebrew Israelite and they claim they are the real Jews. What are your guys' thoughts on this? I think it, I think it could be, I can't speak. I don't, I doubt there's one single I, answer to explain everybody, you know? Um, I think there can be, I think there are strange misunderstandings that being the chosen people is like a awesome and wonderful thing. <laughs> um, but it's not <laughs> like it, it comes with a lot of responsibilities, <laughs> obviously it comes with a lot of persecution. Um, it but, comes with yeah. a lot of passages showing that, you know, you're stiff necked and like, it's like, you know, there, there's, it's, it's, it is a, it is a blessing and it also is a burden to be the chosen people. Is what I would oh, say. Yeah. 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 So I think people think, Oh, the chosen people, that's amazing. They have a special relationship with God. That's amazing. I want that too. I, I see Jewish, a lot of Jewish, my Jewish friends are successful. I want to be Jewish too. I think, so I think for some it could be, but I'm not going to give a, a blanket explanation for, for why everyone hates or why for everyone who does hate Jews, why 
Mm-hmm. They do. Yeah, I think it's it's possible. I, I see it more of it could be Christians who are insecure in their Gentile identity and want to be Jews. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think I think it's more so the case there. Um, but just on the term on jealousy uh, in Romans eleven eleven, where it's where it, I'll just read it. It says, "So I ask." Paul says, "So I ask, have they stumbled, meaning Israel, so as to fall? By no means, but through their stumbling, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous." So there's this idea that Paul is saying that Gentile followers of Jesus are to are to provoke Jewish people to jealousy. And this is not about this. I see some people saying this is about being Jewish, wearing seats on your belt loops or something like that. And just saying like, oh, I'm, I'm more Jewish than you or, you know, I followed the Jewish Jesus. I don't think it's about that. I think it's about um, their holy life that they see in Gentile followers of Jesus, that they're able to, uh, they have salvation with them. So I, there's this instruction, there's this idea that Paul says that Gentile followers of Jesus, Christians, should provoke Jews to jealousy by by their godly living. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I also want to point out, I mean, there are plenty of Gentiles throughout the Bible that God has favor with. I mean, Luke is a very good example. Cornelius, it's, it's not this idea that Jews are the chosen people because they're better or special. They were chosen to be the oracles of God came through the Jewish people to save the whole world because God chose favoritism to no one. Jews were not chosen because they're special. It's from God's divine providence, mm-hmm. providence that is. Absolutely. So yeah. it's not, you're, you know, it's not, I think a lot of I think Gentiles, some Gentiles do get jealous. They want to be these special people, but it's, it's it's a burden as well as a blessing. But again, it has nothing to do with favoritism. It has nothing to do with special blood or anything like that that we need to no. keep in mind. And you know, honestly, if you want to be you want to be the chosen people, I mean, just be Scotch Irish. I mean, think of the whiskey we delivered. I mean, we make the world a better place in so many ways. So just consider that. There you go. Right, we'll um, we'll send people your way then. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Is America the lukewarm church of revelation? I'm taking off the S because it's revelation and revelations. Yeah, I have, I have no idea. Yeah. I don't I think so. As, as a partial preterist, I definitely don't think the Luke that the churches in, in revelation are talking about future church. I think it's talking about churches of the time throughout Asia Minor specifically uh, and the Greek city states, that kind of stuff. So. Uh, thank you for the super chat donating to the apologetics industrial <laughs> complex. Yes. Our, our master secret industrial complex too. <laughs> so, so loaded in money over here for sure. Um, thank I got baptized last Saturday. Hallelujah. Awesome. Wonderful. Glad yeah. to have you in the kingdom. Yeah, it's sure. very good to hear that. Nathaniel. It's amazing. Welcome. And you are now a brother uh, in spreading of the kingdom of God. Awesome. How do we know if someone is truly Jewish or not? Uh, good question is debated within Judaism as everything is. But essentially, um, if you just go by according to the state of Israel and who they consider Jewish, um, well, in Jewish tradition, it's if your mother is Jewish, then you're Jewish. Um, I think if you include uh, what the Tanakh says, that if your father is Jewish, you're Jewish. Like Moses, mm-hmm. he had a Gentile wife. Obviously, his kids were Jewish. Um, but then in, for the state of Israel, uh, to make to to become a citizen in, in Israel, you need one Jewish grandparent to be considered uh, Jewish to get citizenship there. So, so what you're saying is, is that I'm Native American because I'm one sixteenth somewhere in there. I'm pretty sure. Therefore, 
Yeah, finding that you're 1% Jewish on a DNA test does not mean that, that you're Jewish. No. And and also, technically, I mean, if you actually study like genealogical descent that Joshua Swaminas has pointed out, we are descended from literally every person that was alive 4,000 years ago because of all mm -hmm. of the interbreeding and cross. Like, that's just how it's going to happen, especially when colonialism like spread, you know, all this stuff all over the world and there's so much interbreeding and connecting. We are all descendants of everyone who lived. 4,000 years ago. So that's just, but that doesn't mean I'm Sumerian. That right. doesn't mean I'm Akkadian. Okay. Like that's not my genetics. So I would say go on your genetics there. Definitely. Uh, thank you for the super chat. What do you think of the interpretations of Romans 11, 11 to 24 that the Gentiles were grafted into Israel? I mean, they were, I, I don't know what else to say about that. What are you guys thoughts on that? Yeah. So Again, to go back to the Hebrew roots perspective, uh, a lot of Gentiles say, oh, we're grafted into Israel by implication. Therefore, we are Israel. Therefore, we should wear tzitzit, keep kosher, and and all those sorts of things. Um, but I don't think it's because Israel is also branches on the tree. Israel is not the. And so I think actually that the tree is uh, like the family of Abraham. Uh, you know, so he's the father of many nations and whoever blesses Israel will be, will be blessed. Whoever curses Israel will be cursed. Uh, but it's through Abraham's lineage that all nations come into the family of God. And I think Paul expounds on this more in Galatians 3, where it talks about how Gentiles who accept um, Jesus become seed of Abraham. Now, not seed of Jacob. They don't become Jews, but mm -hmm. they do become members of the family of Abraham. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put that. Yeah, I like the way you put that. Yeah, and also just to, just to add um, to the idea that Gentiles become Israel when they believe in Jesus. Like read Romans 11, where Paul maintains the categories of Gentile and Israel. They, the Israel, as I mentioned before, Romans 11, 11, Gentiles are to make Israel jealous, right? There's they, the categories remain, the peoples remain, the the ethnic groups uh, remain, as you as you mentioned before, Mike. Yeah, and that, that's what I was trying to get at earlier, but you guys said it better. Yeah, we're grafted onto the tree, but we're not literally becoming Jews. We, we are children of Abraham in that he's the father of many nations, and I think that's an important point there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, you guys just said it better than I did. So, yeah, thank you for the super chat or the, uh, the uh, super sticker. Much appreciated. Uh, here's a super chat. Those who want to find anti-Semitism is something in something. They'll cherry pick anything to suit their narrative. Some Christians can quote part of the Talmud to say, I got to read this the proper way. So some Christians can quote a part of the Talmud to say, oh, the Christophobia is crazy times, GBU all. Yeah. Any comments on that? Yeah, just um, read the New Testament. And if you want to cherry pick, you know, if you see a text, it seems anti-Semitic, read it in context, read it in its Jewish context. Don't just take a passage because it fits your narrative that you hate Jews. Uh, that is very irresponsible and um you know just like one example the book of Reve in revelation synagogue of satan we eric what did you spend like three minutes answering that even less to figure out like what the answer was right just read on that it's or the one from from matthew that you mentioned before mike uh just read it in context um right and look, even even if there are like anti anti like gentile like passages in the talmud that doesn't change what the new testament says we're still called to love all peoples yeah. we're not called to hate any jewish people even if there are jewish people that hate us like i mean there there are plenty of people around the world who hate christians we're still called to love them okay that doesn't change anything so mm -hmm. 
you know, keep Absolutely. that in mind, guys. Uh, thank you for the super chat. Early Christians were Jews, including 12 followers of Jesus. Christians are spiritually, not physically, sons of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, and that's what I was trying to say earlier with yeah. Romans 11, which these guys said better than myself. Any comments on this? And, and but you, we are basically. Yeah, I, would, I just, I just add that Christians are not spiritual Jews, but sons of right. Abraham, yes, but not spiritual. I, Jews. I agree. Yes. Yeah. Um, we covered this earlier, sir. Can you explain Matthew 27, 24 to 25? Yeah, that we we had a whole passage, a whole section on this earlier in the stream. So if you just go back in time and if you just look at the slide when you see Matthew 27 on the screen, boom, you'll get your answer right there. It's there's a little timeline at the bottom. Just scroll right through. You'll find it no problem at all. So um, instead of us rehashing it there, we're just going to refer you back to that. Hey, guys, me again. High condescending Redditor. <laughs> Appreciate the answer. That's not what I was where I was going. So many Orthodox get triggered when you call Jesus a Jew. They say he is a Hebrew and an Israelite, but not a Jew. What are your guys' thoughts on this? Um, in in John chapter, I think it's four. four. Um, four. Yeah, the Samaritan woman calls Jesus a Jew, and Jesus accepts accepts the title right there. So um, I I just take that and be like, okay, um, Jesus is a Jew. And, and and you read his genealogy, you read it in Matthew, you read it in Luke. Um, there's this there's this emphasis on Jesus being the son of David. Um, Jesus is yeah. is Jewish. Like, yeah. Who 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 is David descended from? Yeah. Judah. Right. Jesus comes from David. He's a Jew. Like get over it. Like this. Why why is this so hard to accept? I do not even understand it. Unless you're like I, I don't know. This is crazy stuff. The fact that we got to point this out is just absurd. I don't know. Weird times we're in. Uh, the nation of Israel is very secular. What will it take for them to be reborn spiritually as described in Ezekiel or Revelation? What are you guys' thoughts on this? Um, nation of Israel is very secular. Uh, so in Israel, if they're I'm assuming they're talking about the Jewish population in Israel. So in Israel, you'll, you'll get a, a makeup of, yes, a lot of secular Jewish people. You'll get Orthodox Jewish people who are very genuinely devout in, in many instances. Uh, and then there's a growing uh, Messianic Jewish community, Jewish followers of, of mm -hmm. Yeshua. Um, so it's, it's definitely not just like only secular over there either. Um, but what does it take to be reborn spiritually? Uh, share the gospel with Jewish people uh, sensitively. I recommend you watch our channel to learn how to do that well. Um, and, and accurately and portraying Jesus and Paul and uh, the New Testament accurately um, and pray for Israel. And as Jonathan mentioned, uh, make Jewish, make those secular Jewish people jealous by living a godly and, and holy life so they can see uh, the light of Messiah um, coming from you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, again, check out their guys' channels. Uh, there are a link below in the video description. Uh, it takes two seconds to subscribe. So you just have to go down, click on the link and go and hit subscribe. So I want all of 310 of you watching to do that. And uh, yeah, I think that'd be very helpful. There's a lot of good stuff on here and dealing with the nonsense of like replacement theology, which is nonsense. Dealing with the idea that if you're a Gentile, you have to become a Jew and you keep the, uh, you know, like the dietary regulations. A lot of really good stuff. I've used your videos against Torah observance. Uh, Torah observant Christians before. And so I think it's, it's really useful and a great tool to have if you get in those types of conversations with 
uh, Gentiles that think they have to become Jewish if they accept Jesus. So uh, check out their stuff. I, I highly recommend it, everyone. Uh, but yeah, I think it's pretty definitive. The New Testament is not anti-Semitic. Uh, and it's really sad we have to point this out, but this is the time we are in and it needs to be addressed. So because I don't know, I think we have a historical precedence that sometimes anti-Semitism can get a little out of hand. I'm not sure if I can think of any examples off the top of my head, but I would like to nip it in the bud the moment I see any of it, because you, you never know what could happen. I don't you know, like in mid 1930s Germany. I don't know. You know, never know how bad that slippery slope can go. So anyways, well, I appreciate you uh, addressing it. Yeah. Thank you so uh, much. Well, yeah. Couldn't have done it without you guys. I appreciate you coming on, promoting your channel, which is something I'm always happy to do. Uh, thank you for coming, everyone. Any last thoughts, Eric, Jonathan, what do you guys have? See, um, the New Testament is not anti-Semitic. Don't if you're anti-Semitic, don't use my scripture to promote your anti-Semitism. And I just want to say uh, thank you, Mike, for having us on. It's it's been great, and I really appreciate you giving us the time. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad to have you guys on. Thanks for watching, everyone. Share this with people that might try to argue the New Testament is anti-Semitic, and it will also trigger anti-Semites. So there's just another another thing very good about it. So thanks for coming, everyone. Um, we'll see you guys next time. Next week, I'll be on my channel interviewing a sociologist on the dangers of Christian nationalism and why that is just contradictory to the teachings of the New Testament. So we'll be back live on my channel next Monday. I'll see you guys then.